This is WQA Radio, a podcast from the Water Quality Association, the leading voice of the water treatment industry. And hello, I'm your host, Wes Bleed. We're seeking out very small communities that are faced with recurring violations of the Safe Drinking Water Act that can be brought into compliance with POUs or POEs and modeling out what the the environmental, economic, and human costs would be of um, of installing POUs or POEs versus of whatever might be needed to bring those communities into compliance otherwise. That's Dr. Emily Kumpel with the University of Massachusetts Amherst talking about the new WQRF sustainability comparison study, which compares point of use and point of entry water treatment with centralized treatment in small community water systems across the U.S. And welcome to WQA Radio, news and insights about the water treatment industry. Find us at wqa.org on LinkedIn, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. This is episode number 179. If you're joining us for the first time, glad you're here. Be sure to hit that subscribe button so you never miss a show. We call it the magic of podcasting. And by the way, there are plenty of past episodes which you might find interesting as well. Just go back in time, so to speak, to hear a show you might be interested in. We're publishing this July 29th of 2020. And we want to make sure you are planning to join us for the WQA Mid-Year Leadership Conference coming up September 16 and 17 with a welcome reception September 15th. Learn more and register at wqa.org slash M-Y-L-C. In this episode, we talk with Dr. Emily Kumpel about the WQRF study, which contaminants she will track when it comes to the effectiveness of POU and POE, and what the long-term benefits of the research will be. And later, we'll get a regulatory update from Kathleen Burbage and our WQA tip. Now on to Emily Kumpel on WQA Radio. And we're going to talk about the sustainability comparison study from the WQRF, Water Quality Research Foundation. It's a study that's going to utilize real world data to compare the sustainability defined as the human, environmental and economic impacts of centralized drinking water treatment to residential POU, POE treatment in small community water systems in the United States. So the research results will be used eventually by the industry to identify and understand in which contexts point of use and point of entry might yield the most benefits when used by small communities for compliance needs. And we are joined by the leading researcher in this project, Emily Kumpel, PhD and professor in civil and environmental engineering at the University of Massachusetts in Amherst. Emily, thank you so much for joining us. Appreciate your being with us on WQA Radio. Thank you. I'm very excited to be talking with you today and uh, to be talking about this study. Yeah, before we jump into the study, a little bit about you for uh, for our listeners and members at WQA. What's your background, education, and uh, prior work that you may have had with point of use and point of entry? Sure. 
So my bachelor's degree was actually in mechanical engineering. I was originally studying aerospace engineering, and I decided for graduate school, I actually had an, ex- um, an internship when I was a college student, and I was living in Dar es Salaam, Tanzania, and doing a homestay with a family that had 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 piped water at some point, but it had stopped uh, working and uh, had to manually collect water. And that's when I became interested in water. And I decided that's what I wanted to actually make my career into. And so I went to graduate school at UC Berkeley in civil and environmental engineering. Um, I was actually one of the first students in their civil systems engineering program, which was meant to integrate multiple angles of civil and environmental engineering. Um, I completed my PhD work primarily on distribution system water quality uh, in India, and particularly studying distribution systems that were intermittently supplied and didn't function well. Um, And then I was a research scientist in Nairobi, Kenya for three years with the Akwaya Institute, a nonprofit that conducted applied research on safe water and sanitation worldwide. And I spent three years working primarily on regulatory water quality monitoring um, across sub-Saharan Africa, but also um, involved in some other projects, particularly around water safety plans with the World Health Organization. And through this whole process, worked very closely with water utilities, health agencies, and regulators from around the world on water quality. Um, And so my experience with point of use and point of entry water treatment was largely through all of these experiences um, and a very personal one where I've lived extensively in um, places around the world where I have been consuming POU and POE water um, and also conducting research around POUs and POEs, particularly on issues around um, uh, acceptance and, and how they fit in with larger water and sanitation systems. Wow, quite a background. It sounds almost like somebody should make a movie of, <laughs> of your life. Uh, very, very uh, interesting background, a, a variety of situations in which you have worked and lived and developed and developing worlds and, and so forth. So a great background from which to uh, work on this new project. So tell us a little bit about the research and what will you be trying to do? So the sustainability study is designed in order to answer questions around what the human, environmental, and economic impacts are, so this triple bottom line impact, of comparing centralized drinking water treatment systems and what would be needed in order to invest in those systems in order to bring them up to compliance. So these are ones that are currently not in compliance with the Safe uh, Drinking Water Act. So what's needed to bring them up to compliance in comparison to if you installed point of use or point of entry systems um, in order to meet um, meet MCLs um, and bring systems into compliance with the Safe Drinking Water Act. We are particularly going to be looking at very small community systems in the U.S., so definitely less than fewer than five, those serving fewer than 500 people, um, potentially uh, even smaller than that. And we'll be using case studies of real communities. So we're going to we're seeking out very small communities that are faced with recurring violations of the Safe Drinking Water Act that can be brought into compliance with POUs or POEs and modeling out what the the environmental, economic, and human costs would be of, um, of installing POUs or POEs versus of whatever might be needed to bring those communities into compliance otherwise. 
And there are quite a few of these kinds of communities, right, around the uh, across the country. Absolutely. So how we've actually started this is by analyzing the SIDWIS database. So this is the the database through the EPA that um, has the information on all of the small um, public water systems, or all public water systems in the U.S. And we have been um, systematically analyzing it in order to understand, first of all, the scope of the issue across the U.S., particularly in small communities. So we've been looking at those communities that have recurring violations. We've been using this to understand exactly what are the contaminants that are leading to those violations. And then we are looking at um, where they primarily are, which states, which regions. Um, and yes, we are finding that there are um, thousands of communities that uh, fit these criteria that have these recurring violations. And sustainability. Tell me more about what, what do you mean by that? So uh, sustainability. So we're, we're going to be looking at the triple bottom line. So the economic sustainability. So we'll be doing a life cycle cost assessment where we're going to look at not just what is the cost of installing, let's say a POU or POE, or what's the cost of installing, you know, new uh, something in the, the process chain in a, in a centralized treatment facility. We'll be looking at what that looks like over a 30 year time span um, and looking at both the installation and the maintenance and um, end of life costs as well. Um, and so it's this cost analysis that is over time. We'll also be looking at the environmental sustainability. So we'll be doing a life cycle assessment to say what are the total environmental costs. This can include things both from, say, greenhouse gas emissions, but also uh, toxic emissions to waterways or, or toxic emissions of human health. Of, of these two different options of POU or POE implementation versus whatever would be needed to, to um, be done for a centralized system to bring it into a compliance. The third element of this is human health, where we'll be looking at uh, potential exposure and particularly around time to implement a POU or POE intervention versus the upgrade of the centralized system. And we'll be looking at what would people who are consuming the water be exposed to in those differential times, and then what are the potential health impacts of that? Can you give us an idea on how long this will take and when you project there will be an actual report? So this is a two-year-long project. We are currently in the second quarter, just starting the second quarter of it. So uh, we're expecting that there will be results in a, a year and a half to two years from now um, is when we'll have all of the final data collection and be publishing uh, papers and, and policy briefs out of this. You mentioned contaminants a few moments ago. What will you be studying as far as contaminants are concerned and how did you select them? So our selection of contaminants currently is to look at arsenic and nitrate. Uh, the reason that we chose these two is because we have analyzed the Safe Drinking Water Act, uh, the database, the SIDWIS database that the APA puts out. And we did the systematic analysis to say what are some of the main contaminants that are causing recurring MCL violations, particularly in very small communities. Uh, so we had several options to, to work from. Uh, nitrates and arsenic we particularly chose because they are widespread. Every region has some type of uh, issues, recurring issues with both of these contaminants, or nearly every region in the U.S. does. Um, and when I say region, I mean EPA region. And the other reason is that um, we wanted to do two of them so we could kind of get a range of two different types of experiences um, or two different 
types of setups around how we might approach this issue so that hopefully by doing at least two of them, this whole approach could be used for other contaminants in the future. Um, arsenic and nitrate are also would require different um, thought processes around what would be needed to treat them, whether from the POU or POE side or from the centralized treatment plant side. And also in, in the case of nitrate, it's particularly harder to get, um, harder to treat and a lot of challenges with it. So we wanted to sort of do both a, uh, we wanted to, to try to do one of the more challenging ones because that can inform a variety of cases that we might um, encounter. So um, give us a sense of uh, what you feel will the outcome be and if you can judge at this point and how you think not so much the outcome, but the impact of a study like this. Yes. So part of why I was so excited about this study when I saw that it was announced through the WQRF is that it's a question that I have long had and have um, encountered many others as, as having this question too. I actually, as a side note, I, I teach a graduate course that's on water, sanitation, and hygiene in international um, settings. And actually, as part of this course, I have the students um, have host, we host debates. And so I give them a particular debate topic and I assign students to two different sides and their job is to go to the academic literature and to come up with points and counterpoints in the debates. And this is actually this uh, question of implementing POUs or POEs versus upgrading a centralized system is actually a debate topic that we've been doing in this class for the last three years. Um, and so it's always, uh, there, there are so many different um, uh Play, ways to think about this. And there are so many um, different points to consider. And in the process, my students have gone to the academic literature and others, and there, there's not and there's not that much data out there that actually compares this. And so uh, this is part of why I was so excited because my students have you know, long had this question and we've been thinking about it for a long time and the information isn't out there. Um, and so I'm really excited to, that we'll be having the information on this and we'll actually have data and we'll have a, a rigorous study to, to back this up. Um, and so I think it's incredibly important. Um, and I think particularly... I mean, these are, as we're starting these conversations with communities, with state regulators, with consumers, these are questions that are always asked. And so, um, so I think that they'll have a very big impact in terms of understanding which settings are, are the most appropriate for, for one intervention versus the other. Well, it sounds fascinating. We wish you all the best, and I'm sure we'll catch up with you from time to time as we hear how the project is going, and then certainly when the uh, final report is submitted and published. So thank you so much, Emily. We appreciate it. Thank you very much for the time to speak, and I'm very excited to be spending the next two years working on this. Dr. Emily Gumpfel, Assistant Professor, Civil and Environmental Engineering at the University of Massachusetts Amherst. Thank you again for joining us on WQA Radio. This is Kathleen Burbage, WQA's Global Regulatory and Government Affairs Manager with your regulatory update. We are continuing to see states analyze how to help private well owners. In Minnesota, researchers for the University of Minnesota spoke to state lawmakers about what water issues face private well owners and the private wells remain slightly outside the scope of the Minnesota Department of Health unless a new well is being constructed. One idea mentioned was to create a coordinating body backed by statutory law to assist private well owners. 
According to the Department of Health, 21% of Minnesotans, or 1.2 million people, drink from private wells in the state. We foresee proposals and hearings on private wells to continue into the next state session. With private well owners in charge of their own water quality, water treatment professionals are needed and valued experts to help homeowners understand their water chemistry and find appropriate treatments. We are continuing to track state progress on private wells, and you can always find updates through WQA's newsletter and on the Government Affairs and Regulatory webpages at WQA.org. I'm Kathleen Burbage for WQA Radio. And now our WQA tip. Continue to check out the coronavirus resources on the WQA website. We've got new information on the Paycheck Protection Program and other resources, a video that steps you through the various pages. We've got a uh, a resource called COVID-19 and drinking water. All of this is available at wqa.org slash coronavirus. Education is available as well. Our live virtual education sessions that were held in April are all recorded and available for on-demand playback. You'll be able to see the recorded sessions throughout the year by going to wqa.org convention, clicking on the education tab. If you did not register for convention or for those sessions, you can still do so. Uh, they are terrific resources for you and your entire team. And uh, even better deal, join WQA. Become a member now and you'll get free access to all of that terrific education. Again, join now for access to that great education. Go to wqa.org membership. Thanks for listening to WQA Radio, a podcast of the Water Quality Association, the leading voice of the water treatment industry. Remember, you can subscribe to WQA Radio on most popular podcast apps. Learn more about water at wqa.org and, of course, learn about WQA product certification, professional certification, and how you can become a member at wqa.org. This is Wes Bleed, so long from WQA Radio.